Hello, Bookstube viewers and listeners. I have a real treat for you today. An author who is new to me, and I was completely enthralled by her book, which is a short story collection called Company. And I just want to read you a comment that was comes from a New York Times uh, book review section. It's by Jonathan Escoffrey. And Jonathan said about Company, many of the stories hold us in suspense as we seek to learn what's transpired since the last time, since we last spent time with our favorite of the family members. And before I introduce the author, I'm just gonna show you this real quickly. It'll be uh, in a better slide when the episode is edited. But this is a family tree of the family that Shannon writes about. And so now I wanna introduce you to Shannon Sanders. Welcome to Book Stew, Shannon. Hi, thank you so much for having me. This book is, um, when, uh, this book uses, the title of the book to me is a very meaningful title. Can you, did you come up with it and can you explain how it relates to the book itself? I did come up with it uh, and thank you for saying so. So the, the uh, collection includes 13 linked short stories and there is one toward the end of the book that actually shares the title. So there's a, a story called Company. Um, as I was looking for a title for the book, I was thinking I wanted to probably use one of the story titles. And it had not occurred to me until the book was really close to completion that they all share this theme of the idea of company, of guests arriving at hosts' homes and sort of the performance that goes into being either a guest or a host. And once I did realize that, it seemed like it was probably the natural choice. So I wanted to emphasize and have the reader in mind of that idea of being company in someone's house. Um, and then the rest of the, the ideas with the promotion of the book and all of that stuff really kind of laid themselves out around that. I, I ended up um, seeing the cover for the first time, you know, a few months later and seeing that it looked like the front of a house and really feeling that sense of being invited into a home. And I, I feel like the cover is just the perfect house for the stories. Um, and so, yeah, that's where the, that's where the title came from. So, um, you know, with family sagas, always in the back of a reader's mind or my mind is, okay, who did you base this on? And I know that most authors will say, it's not me in the book, it's not my mom, it's not my dad, but um, were you, was, was your own family in your mind for a great deal of the writing? Oh, I mean, of course. And I think that most writers will say the same thing, that their characters are inventions, but they are composites of real people or of um, people that we have known well or observed in the world. So maybe they're not one-to-one -one correspondent with people in our actual lives. But um, I will say, for example, there is a character who is based very much on my brother at a certain time in his life. So the character of Theo, who shows up in two of the stories and is a central character, he's based on the person my brother was at this point about a decade ago when he had just relocated to New York and was sort of developing a new persona that I was trying to get to know. Um, another character is based loosely on my mom. And what that means to me is that the character, when I wrote about her, I imagined my mom, I heard my mom's voice, I saw my mom's mannerisms. 
it does not mean that anything that happens in the story actually happened to my mom or that I think she would necessarily behave exactly the way that the character did, but she was definitely the inspiration. Did you, um, and then, uh, sorry, go ahead. Did you feel an obligation to show it to like your brother or other family <laughs> members at any point in the development before the book was published? Well, I'm really lucky. My family is really supportive of the writing and they were interested to read the stories. And so I did get a chance to show many of the stories to them at different points as the book was coming together. Um, and I think I did probably have a conversation or two with my brother about whether he liked the portrayal. And I didn't say that it was, you know, him being portrayed. I said that it was a character who was based very much on who I understood him to be at that time. Um, I then later, there's another story in the book called The Opal Cleft that involves that same character, Theo. And that character is a big football fan, which I am not. And so I actually got to consult with my brother and ask him for some uh, tweaks to the language that I was using to describe football fandom. So they they did, they blessed the, the story collection in different ways as it was coming together, for sure. That, and that's they, a great way to put it because, you know, I'm yeah. sure there have been lawsuits aplenty, um, even when fiction is involved. So speaking of fiction, how did you uh, come into your career? What's, how did you start writing? I have always been a very voracious reader. I was one of those kids who wanted to be in the bookstore all the time and at the Scholastic Book Fair. And I remember being maybe, you know, somewhere between seven and 10 years old. And as a fan of books, kind of my attention switched from just enjoying the pleasure of the reading, even though I continue to do that too. I suddenly found myself really thinking about the mechanics of the choices that the writer was making in the book. Um, and so, for example, I used to read the Babysitter's Club books, all of the books in that series. And it really interested me to see the stylistic choices that the author, Anne Martin, would make and the ways that she would get characters from one plot point to the next. And I think that's probably where I was kind of hatched as a writer. but. I then started to do real writing of my own um, not that long ago, actually. So around 2015, I started to take writing workshops just locally and to meet some local writers in the community here in uh, where I live, which is near DC. And my short stories started to come together through those workshops. So really just the idea of wanting to have something ready for each of the deadlines and um, thinking through what I wanted to express and how I wanted to, how I wanted to, you know, sort of build a career as a writer, all of that stuff happened as a result of being part of the workshop community. That's, um, that's pretty amazing to me because I think workshops are usually something you come to, uh, many writers come to later on after they've been through an MFA program or, you know, gotten a degree. So I think that's very encouraging because um, workshops, when you're face-to-face -face or Zoom-to-Zoom, -zoom, I guess, with somebody who's just read one of your chapters and they're going to critique it, I think it can be very scary. Oh, absolutely. And so I do not have an MFA. I didn't have any real concentrated time in my life that was focused on just building my creative writing life. And so maybe I was lucky in that I went into those workshops not being fearful of that, because I know that that can be a little bit of a traumatic even experience for some new writers, that idea of just serving your work up to be judged and evaluated. But 
um, I got really lucky. I had a, a very supportive community. I had a very gentle, kind teacher for my first few workshops. And I, um, I think that that was really a confidence builder. And then way. how did you progress to, you know, getting an agent and, and an agent who shopped your work around? How did that go? So I wrote several of the stories uh, and, and I have, at this point, I have small children, but in 2015, I had no children. And so my writing life was a lot different at that time. I wrote several of the stories in sort of a rush between 2015 and 2017 or so. And I sent them out into the world. I amassed a million rejections. I got rejected left and right, as, as many writers do. And then finally, I got a few stories published in 2019. Um, and my debut short story, which appears as the first story in the book, it's called The Good Good Men, won the um, Penn Robert J. Dow Short Story Prize for Emerging Writers. So every year that prize is awarded to 12 debut short stories by authors who are just emerging on the scene. And so that was a humongous stroke of luck for me. I, I So many great things come out of you know that award just generally, but for me in particular, the story was anthologized, and then the person who would become my agent follows that award every year. She wants to see, you know, so, sort of who's winning it, who's appearing on the scene. And she approached me in February 2020 to say that she had read the story that won the award and then also some of my other published work at that time. And we ended up deciding to work together, which was wonderful. And she has been just a really great champion. Um, her name is Reiko Davis, and she's with De Fiori and Company. Fantastic. Now, did you did were any of the stories written specifically for Company to add to the number of stories that were going to be published? Uh, short answer: Yes. Um, at the time when I got in touch with my agent, I had I would say roughly six of the stories written and out in the world in some form. So they had been published and been through some sort of editorial process. And she asked if I was working on, you know, a book length work. And as a result of our conversations, I started to write stories knowing I was going to try to build them into the collection. But everything I had been writing up to that point was kind of connected by the idea of this central family that we see in the stories in the book. Um, and so even though I wasn't working with the intention of writing a book that all gelled together at first, I definitely was writing about characters who overlapped and shared, you know, communal um, just connections and, and different thematic concerns that they had in common. I know um, there's so many scenes within the stories that are of families gathering together and telling stories and um, bringing the right kind of wine mm -hmm. and introducing a woman that you think you might be interested in marrying. And um, it, there are just, there are so many wonderful aspects of family life that are, that are uh, brought to the forefront, but mainly there are four sisters who um, comprise the, the main family group and their kids and their mother. Um, do you have, a, so let's talk a little bit about the four sisters. Can you give us a little description of each one of them, please? Sure. Um, the oldest sister is Cassandra. And as far as kind of the archetype that she embodies in the book, she's sort of the bossy, intelligent, accomplished sister. And then the second sister is Felice. She goes by Faye. 
and she's kind of the the dark horse i think or she's the uh maybe the black sheep is a better term to use there um so she's the one who does not play by the rules that the rest of the family kind of adheres to um the third sister is leela or lee and she is seen as a little bit flighty or a little bit eccentric maybe um, she loves men and men love her and that is the source of a lot of her problems um, and then finally Suzette is the youngest sister and she is um, in in present day she is deceased so she's been dead for a while at the time when many of the stories are set but she is remembered by her sisters and her children and her nieces and nephews as um, refined and musical and in a way sort of subdued and kind of the person everyone needs her to be at any given moment. Who's your favorite sister? I could never choose a favorite. <laughs> I don't think. I, yeah, I, the one I probably identify with the most um, is, I would say, maybe the oldest sister, Cassandra. Um, but that means that I also see kind of her, her frailties and some of the ways that she gets on everyone's nerves. Um, but I think that I really like that four sisters setup, and we see it in lots of different properties in literature um, and in pop culture. So, you know, Little Women and um, Sex in the City. There's always kind mm. of like this fragmenting of the way that women are supposed to be, uh, are supposed to behave in society. And really you need to have pieces of all of those things to be seen as complete. And so I think of them as being all really interdependent and I kind of love them all for that reason. I, I love them all too. And then the next generation is um, like, they're the, the, their mother and the four sisters of the rocks. And then what follows are these pebbles and they're all like, they're all kind of hilarious. They're all very unique. and. The other thing I really enjoyed about the collection is that you don't slight men. I mean, there are many collections out now that really focus on women and the men who dog them, you know, and, and this was a book where the men, the men had their, you know, their qualities that we weren't thrilled with, but so, do, so did the women. And yeah. there was just a great deal of sympathy for the men who had to deal with these four strong women, um, even though you know some of them were not, there was parts of them that weren't lovable, but overall, they weren't hard to read. You know, they were enjoyable to spend time with. I guess. Yeah, and I mentioned earlier, so I have a brother, and it's just the two of us. We're two siblings, and so I had a lot of experience with him and his friends growing up and seeing the way that men and women work together. Um, I have a husband, he's the inspiration for at least one of the characters too. And then I now have three sons. I didn't when I started writing, but I do now. And so uh, it, so I'm glad to hear that you think that the men were rendered in a way that was fair and kind of well, and well-rounded. Yeah, I think fair is really the best, best way to put it. So you finished most of the stories pre-COVID, is that right? Yes. How yep. were you? Um, were you still? Are you still actively writing now for the next collection or for the next novel or the next whatever? And how did? So you also had your children. Some of your children during COVID as well. I did. Yeah, Yikes. I have one, one son who's five now, and he was born in 2018. Um, and of course, you know, becoming a parent changes your writing life, no matter what. I'm sure. Um, but then I welcomed my twins who are now two in 2021. And so 
between that and the pandemic and everything really changing dramatically in in society and then in my life that made a really big difference um i had also just started a new day job and so everything really kind of exploded and, and fell apart um for a while so so it was really difficult to do very much writing at all between 2021 and i would say the end of 2022 which is okay because that's really the time when the book was coming together. We had sold the book um, as of the end of 2021 and knew it was going to be published and um, were starting to get you know, things together for that. And that really is a way to focus my attention that didn't involve trying to generate new writing. But now that the kids are older, they sleep through the night, I am trying my best to be working on my next project, which is going to be a novel. Okay, that's I'm I'm glad to hear because, you know, hearing that you wrote them all, then you had your kids. I'm like, oh no, don't stop writing, please. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. How um, how is how is success impacting you? I mean, I'm not saying you are a household word yet. You are in my household, but um, okay. how do you, how let's see how has how has that changed things or has it for you and your family? Well, okay, thank you for saying I'm a household word in at least one household. I, I I love that. And really, I would say that that's been the biggest thing is that, you know, I mean, with short story collections in particular, it's, I just feel, I think we all know that the way that short story collections are received is different from the way that novels are received and talked about. Um, people think that they have to be a special kind of reader to get into short story collections, which I don't think is true. But just generally, whenever I find that they have reached someone who appreciates them and is excited about them and really feels like they know the family in this book, that is, for me, the culmination of the whole journey. That's the really exciting thing. Um, and I, I love linked collections, too, because I think that it's so much fun to sort of like open a trap door and find a pathway from one story or one character to another. Um, and so whenever I hear that someone has done that, so like in the Jonathan Escoffrey review that you read, I saw that, you know, he, he really made the connections between the stories and the characters. That for me is really gratifying. That is the thing that I have been looking forward to and that is starting to come true now. And I just love that so much. Oh, um, I, I think that's, yeah. I think I was so thrilled when I saw this and, you know, I've spoken to many authors. The show's been on the air for more than 10 years. And, you know, I tend to like, when I see something with one of the authors I've interviewed in the Sunday Times review or see it somewhere or it's becoming a movie or something, you know, I, it's just such a big thrill because it means that um, I'm not alone in my, in my appreciation of it. Um, I can't take any credit for it, unfortunately, because uh, <laughs> nobody, nobody's moved, nobody sold their book to Hollywood because they saw books too necessarily. But um, since we were talking about the family, why, I, why don't you do a short reading for us that you'll have to do a little bit of setup for and tell us uh, which story it comes from? Sure. And so um, you and I talked about what I might read from, and you suggested a story that is called The Gatekeepers. And just to give a little bit of background, so of the 13 stories in the book, 10 of them really focus on members of this family, the Collins family, and then three of them focus on characters outside of the Collins family, but who are peripherally con connected to them. So the oldest sister of the Collins family, Cassandra, is a um, 
works at a university with a woman named Janet. Janet is the central character in this story, The Gatekeepers. Um, and so I'm going to pick up in the middle of this story in which Janet is cooking dinner for a holiday gathering with her son's girlfriend, whom Janet is sort of having to get used to. I guess I'll put it that way. So this is from The Gatekeepers. In the basement, Janet chose a Cabernet Franc that she liked very much and figured wouldn't suffer from lack of breathing time. Back upstairs, and now it was noon, she made a beeline for her glass with a little cluster of gold flecks along the stem, a gift from Will on some past Mother's Day, the only one like it in the house. She had the corkscrew in hand, inches from the bottle, when she remembered her manners. Blair, she said, can I pour you a glass? Blair looked over, her hands full of Daya mozzarella shreds. I'll take one, she said quickly. Please. The wine and the buoyant Christmas music helped considerably. Finally, time moved like it had some place to go. Blair moved on to start her Brussels sprouts dish on the stovetop. Janet gave the turkey its final lemon herb bath and started the crock pot. The macaroni bubbling in the lower oven filled the room with the playful aromas of nutmeg and sharp cheeses. Hope they're having fun, said Blair after a time. Caswell couldn't wait to see the fishies. Will's father and I used to take him to the aquarium, said Janet. They had those eels in the tank on the floor that kids could touch. Not sure if they do that anymore. And he went bananas over those eels. He loved them. But then there was the room where one whole wall was a shark tank. The sharks with all those teeth, like you would see in cartoons. And he went bananas over that too, but in a bad way. He was sure one of those sharks was going to swim right through the glass and have a little boy snack. She took a sip of her wine and closed her eyes, remembering Will with his back pressed up against his daddy's legs, pearlescent little tears in the corners of his big cocoa eyes. Wow, said Blair. He got used to them later, added Janet, thinking of an older Will striding toward the tank on longer, more confident legs. He probably doesn't even remember how scared he was at first. He was terrified of the sharks, said Blair slowly, but you took him back to the aquarium anyway? Janet, topping off Blair's glass and then her own, didn't answer. It seemed like a question undeserving of a response. Over the years, there had been, of course, countless invitations to the aquarium, from the Boy Scouts, the church youth group, the other university professors with kids around Will's age. Even considering all the times they had declined, Will's homework or sporting events or playdates getting in the way, there must still have been dozens of visits, most of them overall positive, delightful even. Out loud, she said, pardon my reach, and knelt by Blair's waist to check the progress of the dishes in the lower oven. Why didn't he go with you to Paris, asked Blair from above, when you and your husband went in the 80s? Janet took her time checking the dishes, testing the springiness of the macaroni with a careful finger. When she straightened up, she took another swallow of wine before answering. That was before Will was born, she said finally, and set down her glass to begin the work of gathering up the dirty dishes, the no longer needed ingredients. We went for our first anniversary. It was my husband's favorite city. But then you never took William? With her back to the other woman, Janet flung open a cabinet and returned the salt, the pepper, both types of paprika to the spice rack. There wasn't a chance after that, she said. Will came, and then we spent the next 20 years on Will. She added charitably, you know how it is when they're little. 
Although, Caswell's clothes and hair looking as they had that morning, maybe Blair didn't know. Maybe she'd be shocked to learn that some people invested hours each week, even on basic child grooming rituals, so the neighbors and the school teachers wouldn't talk. Will's father had faithfully broken out the clippers at seven-day intervals to shape the fleece at Will's nape and temples, a process involving much squirming, endless distractions, cajoling that turned gentler or firmer depending on how the child cooperated. All in the name of sending him out into the world each day with the look of a kid you might ask to join your debate team, and not one you'd worry would break into your car. Caswell, as far as Janet could tell, hadn't seen a comb since her last visit years ago. Janet had reached the bottom of her glass again. When you're done with the stovetop, she said, pouring herself a refill, I need to finish Will's crumble. Mmm, said Blair, giving the skillet a little shake. Take your time, said Janet. I'll go make sure all the beds are ready. Sidestepping the stovetop area, its woodsy smell of sprouts and balsamic, she took her wine glass and headed for the stairs that led to the second floor. She'd put Will and Blair in the guest bedroom, Caswell in Will's old room. In the latter, Caswell's things lay scattered across the carpet, the toys that had occupied her on the long car trip, the garments she'd tried on and rejected before the aquarium. Janet set her wine glass on Will's dresser and started folding. Surely there was a theory at work that children should control their own environments, or that a tidy room mattered less than Caswell's free exercise of sartorial choice. But a generation earlier, a different theory had reigned over this same bedroom, and the result had been a child who kept his surroundings as neat as if he'd been paid to keep them that way, whose teachers had praised him highly and often for the meticulous state of his cubby, his workspace, his physical person. And I will stop there. So there's, uh, there's the conflict here between a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law, and the, the son kind of, there are so many cases where, where the son gets or the daughter gets caught in the middle between their spouse and their, and their parents. And I think this was a beautiful telling of tension that just goes on. In fact, in this story, they, um, they do food shopping and the, the daughter-in-law is like adamant that uh, they have to be vegans, they have to be only eat this, only eat that. Um, but I thought the character of Janet was very, it, most of the um, mom characters were very patient people. Nobody, there wasn't really a lot of lashing out in it. What there was more was just internal monologue and also you know expressing um, frustrations in really humorous ways to people who could um, who could support you mm -hmm. so I mean I thought that was I think a hallmark in almost every story of the internal struggle versus what came out of the mouths of the characters and how they expressed it yeah, and I, I have recently heard people do craft talks on this idea of how do we create character, and I had not really thought about it explicitly this way at first, but um, I think that that is really how you get complexity from your characters, is in that tension between what they're doing and saying and what they are, um, what they're thinking and feeling. You know, that whatever the delta is between those two, however different they are, that's really where you get sort of the interest, I think, that your reader can have in in um in the tension 
And I, you mentioned something that happens at the end of this story, and I won't give any spoilers here, but that is one of my favorite things to do. And for that reason, the end of this particular story, The Gatekeepers, is one of my favorite scenes in the book. Um, there's a moment where Janet finally releases some of the tension of this day that she's having with Blair by seeking some sympathy from a neighbor who's a friend. And the two of them end up sort of, you know, um, they they share a moment in which Janet feels supported for the first time all day. And that is something that I really love to write about is those moments where we find humor with our friends or our sisters, and we are able to laugh our way through something that is, you know, that has been difficult and that will continue to be difficult, but is a little bit less difficult for that reason. I just love to do that. Well, your loving of doing that really, really shows. And I think your comment about babysitter clubs and watching how they they moved between you know kept the same characters but maybe introduced a new one from book to book and how that transpired i think um books like that which kids love and critics despise we can really learn from because why do kids love them there's a certain amount of repetition which kids like but there's like little new things introduced so i I'm very encouraged by the fact that you've you found those as almost like a training ground for yourself as a writer. I think that's just that's just really great and commendable. But um, yeah. we're running out of time, sadly oh. enough. So um, I want to thank you so much for coming on Book Stew. Um, I really hope all of my readers and listeners will will grab a copy of the book because there's just such pleasure to be found in it. And I'm really looking forward to um, reading everything that, uh, that you keep writing and that you'll come back on the show sometime. Thank you so much for having me. And let's cross our fingers that I am able to finish this, um, this novel sometime in the near future so that I can actually make good on that. Well, um, I'm, I'm going to yeah. follow up with you on that. Thank you so much, Shannon. It's been really a lot of fun talking to you. Thank you, Eileen. And Bookstew viewers and listeners, Please, please run down and get buy, buy or get it from the library like I did, a copy of Company. It's, it's short, so I know some people don't like reading long books. I'm in the middle of the Barbara Streisand book and my arms are killing me. This is much shorter and can be read, I think, you know, over the course of a few days with just mounting pleasure as you, as you get through each story. So uh, thanks to Shannon for joining me and have a good night.